Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello and welcome to episode 184 of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. If you are a new listener, welcome. I have a free ebook for you on how you can increase your sexual desire. You can find the link in the show notes, specifically wrote for women. You can download it on the, the link that I provided. I love men, but I felt I feel like I needed to kind of create a gender specific resource. So if you're identifying as a man or non-binary, I have tons of stuff that coming up for you, but this specific ebook is tailored for women. So today we're gonna talk about sex and diabetes. Many of my clients that they get the diagnosis of diabetes, they feel like their sex life is over. If they're single, it's really hard to navigate it in a long-term relationship at times. They feel like they're not able to have successful sexual experiences. So I'm very excited about having two experts today to talk about this topic with you. If diabetes is not your main primary challenge, many of the concepts that you're talking about is would apply to any other kind of physical health challenges. Because when we are experiencing physical challenges, medical challenges, I guess that's a better way of saying it, it can impact our self-esteem, it can impact our performance in bed, and it's important to learn and cultivate skills that will help you to be successful in sexual experiences. So today we have two wonderful authors and diabetes educators on our show. Janice Rosler is the 2008-2009 AADE Diabetes Educator of the Year. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified sex therapist, certified diabetes educator, registered dietitian, and award-winning medical media producer award. Donna Rice is the past president of American Association of Diabetes Educators and has held numerous positions nationally and on a state and local level to advance the care of individuals with diabetes. She's a registered nurse and certified diabetes educator who speaks on a variety of diabetes-related topics with a passion and expertise in sexual health. In addition to launching a national sexual health program in Farmington Hill, Donna is also the author and co-author of numerous consumer and peer reviewed articles and books related to diabetes and sexual health. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Janice and Donna. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am very excited and honored to welcome Janice Rosler and Donna Rice to our show. Welcome to our show. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for inviting us. We're excited to be here. I am very excited about this conversation as well. I know right before we started recording, I was sharing with you guys that I feel I know a lot about sex and I have some information about kind of like a medical challenges, but I think the overlap of diabetes when it comes to sex and sexuality, I think that's an area that hasn't been explored as much. So I'm very curious, how come, how did you guys get interested in this topic? Oh my goodness. (laughs) Where do we start? 
Well, okay, I'm Janice. I'll go first. Um, I started out in the diabetes world as a registered dietitian. And I still remember there was a couple. I was seeing the husband to help him review his meal planning. We met in an in, in office at an endocrinologist's you know, place. And then I went out into the waiting room and there was a woman there sitting by herself and she was crying. So I sat down next to her. No one else was in the waiting room. And I sat down and quickly learned that she was the wife of the patient that I had just seen. And I said, asked if I could help her. And she said, I can't take it anymore. I just can't take it anymore. My husband's not the same person I married. We are having so much trouble in our marriage and in our relationship. And I just don't think I can go through, live with this anymore. And I was dumbfounded because I didn't know what to tell her. I didn't have any handout to give her. I didn't have any book to recommend. And at that point, I decided that that was the direction I wanted to go in, that I needed to create something or help couples. There are enough dietitians who are helping them with their meal planning, but there weren't enough diabetes trained healthcare providers who were helping them with this piece. And I think the, the, the couple's piece is so huge because if you're, if you're inviting a partner or a spouse to support what the person does, to help them make food decisions, to help support that they get regular physical activity, that's all wonderful and well and good. But if the most intimate part of their relationship is, is unfulfilling, is full of anger, is full of hurt because of performance issues or frustrations or personal self-esteem issues, that spouse or partner is not going to help them if they're angry at them or if they're frustrated. So that's the reason that I started moving in this direction. And this is, what, 25, 30 years ago. So Donna, I'll let you. Yeah. Hi, hi, Donna Rice. Very similar experience. I was um, a program manager and managed a large diabetes program. And through counseling, you know, multiple people, the same topic kept emerging of sexual dysfunction. What do I do about this? And I think, you know, nurses, dietitians were really the most trusted health professionals. So people felt very at ease and open to ask that question. So I talked to my director at the time. And, and, and she connected me with a young urologist, and we launched a sexual health program back in, in 1990 that became a very national program and, and, and the go-to place for understanding sexual health and just realized back then that this has been a totally untapped area and that there was a huge need to really incorporate that type of education within any kind of chronic disease management. What a needed area. And I, and I know you also talk about it in the book about the medical providers and at times even therapists now talking about sex and sexuality. And first of all, I think if as providers, we're not bringing it up unless the person is very fed up, like what Janice said, right. people are not going to talk about it. They're not right. just going to feel that's not appropriate. They don't think like they don't know how to ask it, ask mm -hmm. about it. So I'm glad that you guys are providing this tools for people. Okay, this is important and this is how you can go about asking 
asking for what you need. Because I think sometimes with, with many of even my therapist colleagues, they're not comfortable about asking clients about sex. But it's my experience that whenever, if I'm asking my clients that are not sex therapists, sex therapy clients, mm-hmm. they welcome those conversations because we don't have enough information. Oh, exactly. without a doubt. Without mm-hmm. a doubt. And we really, um, Diana and I speak often to healthcare providers at national conferences. And that's a big piece of it is to help them get over whatever personal discomfort they may have with the topic. Because we're all humans. We're all growing up in a similar American culture where this is something we don't really talk about privately, even mm-hmm. in an appointment with a physician or with another healthcare provider. So we encourage in the book, we, we suggest ways for someone with diabetes or someone who loves them, loves someone with diabetes, how they can help bring up the topic with a healthcare provider. And on the flip side, we help healthcare providers figure out how to fit that in to the conversation. And we understand that there's a lot that has to be covered medically in a very short amount of time. But exactly. it's so critical. We try to help streamline that and give everyone tips from both sides. Right. And it, it's even getting over the discomfort of discussing it. Another big barrier is, well, what do I do with this person? And where do I refer them to? And if you look in your communities, I mean, the, the sex therapy or counseling they're sometimes hard to find and there's not a great connection with resources today. So I think one of the uh, really good things that Janice and I try to do is really how do we connect the dots there and how do we create the resources or educational materials and, you know, really make it easy for the healthcare provider to not only discuss it, but to be able to know how to refer it or what resources are available out there for that particular person. Such an important point that you mentioned that I think many times my physician colleagues are telling me, okay, if I ask about it and I don't have resources and I don't know what to do about it, what would be the point of it? So sometimes they avoid the conversation because of that. So I think that's very important to kind of think about having this plan of what would be the next step if my client's coming in with these challenges. So tell us a little bit about what are some of the common challenges that you see in this population when it comes to sex and sexuality? Uh, well, this is Janice. So I, Don and I usually kind of split this where I she's developed and, and actually launched male sexual health clinic in her history and done a lot of things in that department. And I work a lot with women and also men. But so we kind of split it down those lines. So I guess if we do ladies first, maybe. Um, <laughs> so what I'll, what I'll say is, first of all, across the board, when people have diabetes, they don't always have the energy level that they would like to have based on their blood sugar level. So they may have an, they may have blood sugar swings, which causes fatigue, may cause nervousness. So a person with diabetes may not always feel good, may not always feel sexual. And so that's a big piece really for men and women. Mm-hmm. As far as women, women are a bit of a mystery. The research is rather new on women because certainly it's easier to see if a man is getting a positive response, if a man's excited. You know, you just have to see just changes in, in the penis, changes in the erection. And a woman with diabetes, we women tend to, the problems that they do develop would be 
problems with lubrication, vaginal lubrication. They may need to use lubricants because that could also lead to pain. They, based on the friction, but they could also have pain anyway. Based on, uh, you know, I wish I could say we knew why. We don't know a lot about why things happen to women who have diabetes. We know that it could be hormonal. It could be emotional. There's a big connection between diabetes and depression, especially in women. It could be self-esteem issues. We know that women have a very strong mental connection when it comes to sex and sexuality. So if they've gained weight, especially common in type 2 diabetes, if a woman's gained weight, she may not feel good about how she looks. If she's taking injections or testing her fingers and for blood tests and or wearing an insulin pump and she has a lot of black and blue marks for where she's kind of moved things around and tape marks, she may not want that to be seen. There's also shame and guilt. A lot of people are blamed because they have diabetes. It's not their fault. You, you can't just get diabetes out of the air. And I know that they say there's a strong component to uh, a link between lifestyle. If you're physically active and you maintain a healthy body weight, you are more likely to avoid getting diabetes. But not every heavy person who's inactive gets it. So we know that there is some type of genetic uh, possibility. And if you don't have that possibility, you're not going to get it. You'll get something else. Else, perhaps. So the blame shouldn't be, oh, you ate too much candy and look and, and why are you taking that extra piece of cake? There's a lot of shame. There's a lot of blame. There's family pressure. So women have a big emotional piece. And you may have shared with your audience uh, Rosemary Bassan's approach to female sexuality, which is very different than Masters and Johnson's. And her approach to the female female sexuality and attraction, by the way, just so your audience knows, I'm a board-certified sex therapist as well as a diabetes educator. So we'll throw that one in. Excellent. <laughs> so we know that women can enjoy sexuality without having an orgasm. They can enjoy it with an orgasm. They can enter into a sexual opportunity when they're turned on or enter just because they're bored or because they just want to be close to that person or want to be nurturing to that person. So we can go in through a lot of doorways and have a good time anyway. So it's very different than the Masters and Johnson's understanding, which seems to be specifically toward men and it still pertains to men, where men, as they get turned on, they kind of climb up that hill, there's a plateau, then there's the orgasm, and then they come back down. Women are kind of circular. We can enter in any door, we can have a great time, and then leave the door. And, uh, and so there's a lot more flexibility. But those are the kind of things that we see in women, is the, the pain taking longer to get aroused, the vaginal dryness, the emotional peace. So that's really where it is when it comes to women with diabetes. And there's a lot they can do about it. And I love that you talked about the societal pressure of it. So before I, I was doing focusing on sex therapy, most of my practice was on treatments of eating disorders. And mm -hmm. I feel sometimes the sex therapy world and the eating disorder treatment world is kind of in a clash because sometimes I hear when people coming and talking about the relational issue, some of my colleagues say, like, why they just don't lose 
lose weight, that that helps with the relationship, that helps with the kind of health medical aspect of the things. But that's kind of like giving in and adding another kind of like a stressor to the person because what we know it really matters is kind of a lifestyle habits that people have, like movement, those kind of things. It's not necessarily about one's body size. So uh, I can imagine that if someone hears that you have this condition because of the bad, poor choices, quote unquote, that you made around food, then that kind of creates some dilemma around pleasure and experiencing pleasure. So I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I'll let Dana handle the boys. Sure. Yeah. And I think what Janice talked about, some of the emotions definitely is very, very similar in men. But one of the biggest challenges, I think, is really around the communication piece. So oftentimes when men are confronted with the problem or they have the problem once and maybe they try again and, you know, they can't get an erection, most of the time they're not going to try a third time. And then they put up this huge barrier of communication. So if, you know, their partner tries to be a little bit intimate or give them a hug, they kind of shy away and they get preoccupied with different things and always have an excuse. And I think one of the biggest challenges is really starting to break down that communication barrier. And I know both Janice and I have talked about how, you know, you almost have to have them both in the room and kind of be like the kind of the referee in a way and really helping them understand each other's perspectives and really understand what's going on. And with chronic disease, I think there's so much blame that goes on. And we talk a lot about how do we really deal with that blame and really looking at the disease. And if you explain the etiology of the disease so that they understand that, you know, this is a, a, you know, diabetes is a progressive disease. And this happens as a result of uncontrolled diabetes because it does affect nerves and blood vessels. So it really takes the blame from the person or both people to really put it onto the disease. And I think that that's an important element. And I could say with counseling people, they almost seem to like relax and take a deep breath saying, you know, they didn't realize it. Diabetes and its effects never even entered into that whole realm of what they were thinking. So it's really, really helpful for them to understand that there is a reason for this and it's nothing you've done. It's not your fault and that there are treatments and there is hope. And I think if we can instill those messages, I think that it's, I mean, from a counseling perspective, it's really, really helpful and people are very willing to work and try different things and really come to some kind of, you know, resolution around around their problem. I love that you focus on kind of externalizing it and also kind of focusing, okay, this is the problem. How can we solve it as a couple? Because sometimes I feel in a heterosexual relationship, the entire sexual performance evolve around erection. So if the erection is not there, sometimes my female clients think about, okay, I'm not attractive enough. The partner gets very, the male partner gets very overwhelmed and anxious. And we know that's not helping with kind of performance and uh, erectile functioning. So it can be very confusing. And at times I feel it's easier when a couple, and I want to hear your thoughts on that, that they're together uh, for a while and they know each other and they've been intimate. It's my experience in a new relationship, in a dating relationship, that can be very complicated. Can you tell us more about that? That what are some of the challenges people have when they want to be intimate, but they have this condition in a new relationship? 
Well, dating, I've done a lot of writing about dating. And I, what I have found is that the person who you're dating, if you have diabetes, the person you're dating is going to take the cue from you. So if you're comfortable with your diabetes and you're comfortable with taking care of it and whatever goes along with it, they'll see you're relaxed and they will take that cue and say, oh, I guess there's nothing to worry about. But if you're sitting there and you're like, oh, shoot, now I have to do this. Oh, my gosh. I will. Well, I, I got to get some snacks before we get romantic because what if I my blood sugar goes low and then I might fall asleep? And, you know, and they, if you're worried, they're going to go, whoa, why am I dating this person? This sounds so complicated and they sound so overwhelmed. So the person with diabetes that, you know, that's what reason that we wrote this book that just came out, which is Intimacy and Diabetes, is to help people who have diabetes and help people who love them and help them understand that, you know, the more confidence that you have in your body and in how to how to deal with your diabetes, then, you know, the more confidence that you give off in the relationship. And mm-hmm. one thing you mentioned about the externalizing, because I keep wearing all these different hats. I'm also, I'm a, I feel like a Janice commercial. I'm also a licensed <laughs> marriage and family therapist, which I am. When I'm, I consider myself a narrative therapist primarily. And so I love to externalize the diabetes. I had this couple once, I don't know if you recall, when Prince Charles was married to Princess Diana, there was this whole thing about how Camilla Parker Bowles was the third one in their marriage. Right. And so I had a couple who really were struggling a lot with blame when it came to diabetes. If he couldn't get an erection, she was like, well, you're, you don't love me. You don't care about me or, you know, everything you're, you know, you and your diabetes, they were, they were one. So what we did is we externalized the, the diabetes and I said, name it. And they chose Camilla. <laughs> and they said from that point on, it made such a difference because now the partner with diabetes was good and loving and wonderful. And that stinking Camilla kept bothering them in the bedroom. <laughs> so it became, you know, two against one. It became a joke. It added humor. It added play. And when things didn't go right, when he did fall asleep or when his when he wasn't able to maintain an erection the way he wanted to, they both were like, okay, well, Camilla, we're not, we're, we're revoking your television privileges, Camilla. So it brought, you know, and, and as you know, sex in its best form is fun and pleasurable and connecting and intimate. And that's what we want to hope help couples get back to because diabetes makes it full of pressure and performance and what's wrong with me and how come my body won't won't cooperate so externalizing it is is a really wonderful thing yeah and we do we do a lot in our book and we put a lot of little tips in our book and one of the things that we really find very very helpful is to take the kind of the pressure off the performance and don't focus on the performance and you know especially with men they're they're performers they feel they're responsible for their satisfaction and their partner's satisfaction. And if we get back to the love and the caring and the intimacy and the touching, that I think really, really can help. So we spend a lot of time in our book kind of putting together a lot of tips and thoughts around being intimate and the enjoyment of it and the beauty of it versus the actual perf- 
performance. And I think that's, that's, I think, really, really important. Such an important point with kind of like increasing like people's like broadening people's definition of sex and sexuality and intimacy, because I feel sometimes people have this very narrow that it's penile vaginal uh, penetration in a heterosexual couple. And that's what it is. And it's not even enjoyable for many people. There are so many different ways that they can have fulfilling sex life and it's more fun and connecting. Mm -hmm. But because that's how that they learn that it's supposed to be, they're kind of limiting themselves that way. It's interesting when it comes to dating, the other thing that comes to my mind, and I know Donna, it seems like it's within your areas of expertise, is with men, if there is a consistent erectile functioning challenge, I have clients that they use uh, injection, they have palms, Mm -hmm. all of those. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That can be tricky because then that gives them like it's impacted how spontaneous they can be. And it would be hard to have those conversations. So please tell us how can people navigate that piece? Yeah, I know. And it's interesting that you say that. And that is really kind of the center. That that conversation was very, very common with treatment devices and how to use them when you're in a committed relationship or how do you use them spontaneously. And I could tell you a really a, a wonderful story about a, a man who was dating different different women and he used injection therapy and he'd go in the bathroom to do his injection and then he'd come out and they'd engage in about 15, 20 minutes of this wonderful foreplay and he had a great erection and none of his partners realized he was doing it. And then, so, I mean, it's just really, it's, it's working within each each individual in their framework of, of, of what they need. Men that are in a, and, and women that are in committed relationships, it's a lot easier. And most women are understanding. And a lot of times the women would help them with the device. If it was a vacuum device or it was an injection, they'd get very, very much involved in the care and in the, and in the process of it all. So it just really, I think you have to look at it from one individual to the next and kind of what their lifestyle is and what they would be happy doing and how they want to actually present it as well. We have some men who are very out in the open and you know, they bring their vacuum pump and they say, this is the way it is and take take it or leave it kind of discussion and, and, and it works out really, really well. So it's just really helping them through that conversation and how they're going to handle the situation. And oftentimes they just want to talk through it because they know what they want. And it's just how do they present it and talk through it. So you just have to really think in terms of each individual and how to handle it from one person to the next. And I like that you're talking about kind of individualized tailor approach for each person. And I think the important piece is for people to be clear about their own game plan, right? How am I going to approach it? Because sometimes right. my client, they're worried about like, am I telling her? I'm not telling her or him what the situation is. But if they know what works for them, that would be kind of like a easier, they will have an easier time. And also it's, I have the same experience as you're having. I know many of my clients that they're dating, at least I'm hearing from my female clients, in a heterosexual relationships that they, they're okay with their partner using all of these devices. They don't necessarily have a huge reaction about it. They know this, this day and age, it's kind of a common knowledge. So I think people get surprised if they choose to share that with information with the partner, right. how open the partner would be possibly. Exactly. No, definitely. And one thing I do want to share, a lot of, there, there's a, a lot of acceptance for pills. 
for uh, Viagra, Levitra, Cialis, and Stendra. And I want to let everyone know that these pills only work in about 60% of men who have diabetes. So they should be aware that if they don't work for them, when they use them properly, remember, you just don't take the pill. You also have to engage in some type of stimulation, either visual, mental, or physical. You can't just sit and wait for it to happen. You have to help it. If it doesn't, if it doesn't work, if they don't get the erection they were hoping for, they should realize that there's a lot of other options. There's an, there is an option for every single man right. or every single person with a penis. Let's say it that way. So the thing is, we even have a penile sleeve. And a penile sleeve is kind of a firm kind of, I guess you can call it a jacket, that you actually put on a penis when it's not erect. And then you put a condom over it. And that shape enables the couple to have intercourse, even though the penis isn't erect. So they can still have that intimacy if the man has such severe damage, blood flow damage, there's an option for him. Another thing too is that penile implants are incredibly natural, much safer. Now they have almost no infection risk at all. It's extraordinarily low, especially if you're working with a, a very well-seasoned you know, uh, surgeon. And it's natural and your partner does not have to know at all, never has to know because you can't see it. So there's a, there are options for all men when it comes to this. And, you know, just a reminder, Austin Powers and his movies used a vacuum pump. So if they want to say they're a superhero and they bring their superhero tool with them, <laughs> you know, in other words, see if there's a way to engage it as a game, as you know, I, I hate to use the word foreplay because foreplay implies that we're getting to something else. This is the, you know, this is the hors d'oeuvre before the main event, like you mentioned, you know, mm -hmm. focusing exclusively on the actual intercourse, you know, pedial vaginal intercourse in heterosexual couples, but just the play, just the play. So, you know, having to be part of it. And the thing is with same-sex couples, with, you know, couples that are all a whole variety of different gender identities, these things, these issues, the main lesson is that there is a treatment for everyone. Right. There's a way to have comfort. We want to help them communicate their needs, mm -hmm. be able to say them, be able to understand, support each other, and help the bedroom be a playground instead of a place that's filled with tension and performance judgment. Yes. And, and just to jump into, just to thank you for your show. And I think one of the things that's really underestimated is the peer, peer to peer and the value of peers. So peer groups. And I know one of the things that I did in my practice is really connect them with people who've been through maybe a certain treatment option or people who have certain problems, because oftentimes talking peer to peer on tips and stuff like that, it's really, really powerful. Having a venue to talk about it or to listen, I think is so important. So shows like yours, I think too, I mean, just the work of what the sex therapist and the counselor does, how do we connect to them and, and just 
giving people resources to connect to people that can have these conversations, I think is so important and so needed today. So just, you know, thanking you too for your show and, and having this available to so many viewers, I think is really commendable. Thank Absolutely. you so much for that. I agree with that one. <laughs> so I think you guys are such a great resource in the community. And the fact that like you're giving this information that many of the healthcare providers are also, they don't have it. They don't know where to go. So I know knowing that there are providers like yourself with years and years of experience putting out this wonderful resource, it can be a good start for people to know, okay, this is something we can talk about it. And these are the resources. So I'm sure many of our listeners, they're kind of curious about where they can have access to some of these great materials that you guys are uh, worked with and throughout the years and developed and curated. So please tell us about what are some of the best places to get those things? Well, the book is out right now, hot off the presses. It's called Intimacy and Diabetes, and it's available from the American Diabetes Association. I think it's called shopdiabetes.org, but it's also available from Amazon or any of the online vendors, book vendors, and it's only in an ebook form. So the price is very, very reasonable, and you just download it and you have it. And one thing I wanted to say is in addition to information about sexual performance and sexual activity. We also have information in the book about scams. Unfortunately, people fall prey to a lot of scams about, you know, breast enhancement and penile enhancement and things like that. We talk about that. We talk about herbs and the different types of things you might find in a store. Are they worth buying? Do they work? Don't they work? And also in the end, we have we also have a lot of communication tips because this is a team. This is a, you know, it's a team effort in the bedroom. And finally, at the very end, we have recipes that have aphrodisiac ingredients. So because our goal for the book is not just to educate, but to infuse fun once again back into the bedroom for some couples who haven't had fun in that arena in a very long time. So the book definitely, I have a website, dearjanis.com, D-E-A-R-J-A-N-I-S.com. And I'm also, um, I tweet, I tweet occasionally. So those are the places where uh, where I can be found. And, and just another point about the book, we do have a lot of resources within the book too for uh, ways to connect with um, sex therapists and different resources and communities. Also resources within the Diabetes with um, American Association of Diabetes Educators and the American Diabetes Association. There is educational materials and resources as well. And I'm very grateful that you guys offered me a copy of the electronic copy of the book and I highly, highly recommend it to all of my colleagues that they're even working with any kind of a population to have that handy because you don't know when would be the next time that a client walks in and that they need that resources. And I think having the peace of mind that at least I have a place that they can refer them to or I can look up this information, it can be very reassuring and empowering. Absolutely. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much for coming in to our show. And it was my pleasure to talking to you. And thank you so much for contributing to our field with doing this wonderful talks and books and all of this great resources. Thank you thank so you. much. It's been a pleasure. Like Donna said, we're honored to be here. So thank you yeah, so absolutely. much. Absolutely.
I hope you found the content useful. And if this is the area that you're interested in, I highly recommend our guest's book. Give me tons of good information about this area. And more importantly, I encourage you to think about that your sex life is important and it's worth your attention. So no matter what kind of a medical condition you're experiencing or what kind of a physical ability you have, you deserve to have great fulfilling sexual experiences. It's one of the ongoing joke with my husband is that says I have a, a sex therapy podcast for rest of us because some sometimes I hear on other episodes or the podcast they talk about the stimulating and fun things that a small part of population are engaging in. But my goal is to make sure that no matter what background you have, what kind of body you have, you continue to have wonderful sexual experiences. I hope this episode was relevant to you and I would love to connect with you in social media. My handle is at Sexology Podcast, and I love you for tuning into this episode, and we'll talk next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.